0: This is Rafael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube podcast, a talk show where two siblings converse about anything and everything.
1: How you doing? I am doing better. Uh, it's been not raining like crazy, so... Yeah. Yeah, we're kind of in the morning for you
0: as well, so mm-hmm. I think our earlier podcast recording kind of woke you up, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, you were just telling me before we began rolling about your con adventures. Cause you recently got to go to a convention over yes. in your neck of the woods. Went to supernova. Uh,
1: supernova. 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 Yeah, we supernova. went to Supernova, uh anime pop culture convention. Really fun. First convention experience. And I feel bad because you know how oh, yeah? people talk about you go to a con you get the con flu, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just like tons of people packed together in a tight space and of course obviously there's the covid consideration now as well but like i feel bad because i was like going in i was ready i have i had like hand sanitizer i was wearing a mask and it's like okay was, let's let's not get the con flu but i think i was patient zero for the con flu at that con <laughs> i was sick <laughs> because or yeah i i, I did i don't know if it was the flu or the or just a cold or whatever what was going on but i was not well Uh, By the like halfway through our con adventures, I was just like I was out. I was just sitting on the floor going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you know going in that you were sick or did you realize
1: partway through the experience? I I didn't know that I was sick, but I could like that morning I could feel like uh, not feeling too great throat's a little iffy but you know it's probably it'll probably go away because like sometimes you wake up in the morning your throat's a little wet, whatever
0: yeah yeah you got like that
1: pre-sickness yeah we got going and, we, and then it's like we're on the we're on the train we're getting ready and it's just like oh like i got a bit of a headache but we're just stressed because we're we're moving uh, from one thing to another we like we we had uh last minute plans uh for like costume changes and stuff like that i was like oh, i got a bit of a headache that's whatever get to the con it's like we're just going. And then halfway through, I'm like, no, I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a sick. I'm like, oh, uh, this is no good.
0: Oh, man, what a
1: horrible time to get sick. I know. And I I feel bad because I touched so much stuff.
0: (laughs) 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 Touching everybody's stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're telling me about some of the cool boots and stuff. Like you said, we were talking about minis a little bit because I still got some minis left on my shelf to paint. Ever since I moved. Yeah, I haven't really had the chance to interact with those too much. And I still need to. um, What's that glaze called? Uh, That's a sealer sealant
1: sealer. There's a more technical name than that, though. Because the priming is the first one. What's the last one?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, screw Google. I'm just gonna look at the can. It's over here. <laughs> yeah,
1: just look at the can. It's on there.
0: Varnish. Hmm. But yeah, I still need to varnish some of the minis that we painted yeah. before. But um, yeah, I still have a few left to paint. I was talking about that. And yeah, you were
1: saying there was a mini painting booth at Supernova. As well. Yeah, it was crazy. There was just this whole area with like, well, I think it was two areas that got smashed or two different. People, groups, or whatever that kind of got smashed into one because they were like they're related. Because one area was mini painting, and the other area was straight up D anD D. It was just like <laughs> it was just just D anD D table set up. I think I don't know how it was how the logistics of it worked because I didn't. I I only saw that at the end of our like convention walking around and stuff. So I was like, ah, oh, if only I saw it earlier. I don't know if you have to set, sign up or if you just like could drop in in the middle of a yeah one shot or anything like that, but. There was what there's one one area where they're just straight up playing D and the other one they're painting minis and i was like i didn't know you can do that at a con just like i thought it was just like products and you know places yeah. selling and advertising and doing all this stuff and of course like announcing new stuff for you know whatever whatever's going at on at least if you're not gen con and <laughs> gen con you would expect something
0: like that uh, oh, gen con yeah. is the big that's uh, the, the game yeah yeah yeah
1: because yeah. this is just like this was just i think it was just anime and not anime but like just yeah pop just general culture. Pop i don't know culture. if it yeah i don't know if it was anime and pop culture or if it was just pop culture and anime is pop culture now but yeah what is a supernova anyway <laughs> so and, let's, but, let's double check
0: yeah Super- what, is, what is their official
1: their official shtick their shtick how do they build themselves comic-con gaming yeah, all right. Yeah. Simple <laughs> Focusing enough. Focusing on science fiction, fantasy, film and TV, comic books, anime, gaming, and collectibles. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, that just about covers just everything. Pop, so there you go. <laughs> fan-
1: fandoms. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, yeah, I didn't know you could have like, experiences at a convention where I was like, yeah, we're just going to go down and just play D&D, oh, which yeah. also blew my mind because there was this LARPing community that was advertising their, their community, and they had a whole area sectioned off where you could fight people. <laughs> yeah, that blew my mind. That you mentioned that. Yeah, they, they handed you swords and you, and the people from the community, I guess, the people who run it, uh, they are all dressed up in a different age or in a different like class or theme or whatever. Like there was a a rogue with like double with double daggers. There was like this big <laughs> oh, dagger, dagger, big Viking guy with a massive axe. <laughs> there was a dude in a uh, knight armor with a long sword and it, it was sick like he, their larp outfits were top-notch top-notch it was sick but yeah you just got in line you you paid a little thing get a ticket and then i think you get like 10 minutes of fighting you can either partner up with somebody <laughs> else or partner up with uh one of the the guys there and then they'll run you through different stuff like you know it's like okay we're gonna play uh five lives each and go <laughs> <laughs> one, one hit is one life, and then we're we'll gonna do free for all. Then we're gonna do all a bunch of other stuff. It was super fun. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. You just got like a fight pit over in one
0: corner. Yeah, it basically, was, it, was
1: really, it was really cool because like we, we just when we were we stopped to eat uh, lunch there because they had because Domino's had a freaking <laughs> <booth.
0: laughs> sure <what> they
1: sold <laughs> freaking pizzas, but. Yeah, we stopped to eat lunch and we just stopped right in front of them just watching people. It was great. Wow. There was there was this one particular interaction that was absolutely hilarious. So we saw this really really good Captain America cosplay just walking around every now and then. And at some point that dude picked up a lightsaber. So there was a <laughs> Captain America with a lightsaber just walking around. <laughs> and it was just like I didn't know I needed to see that, but that is awesome. Fantastic. He got into the ring at one point. Oh, wow. Like near the end. And I guess just completely coincidentally, because I don't think these two people knew each other. There was this other guy who was like a treant. He was on full (laughs) stilts, like vines wrapped around his legs, full druid treant look, right? Like leaves and all this other stuff. And he had, I think he had a... um, Some kind of uh, weapon that his costume had. Because I don't know if it was from something, but he looked like a triant. And of course, Captain America has a shield. And they went in and fought each other. And it was Captain America (laughs) versus this giant triant. (laughs) Oh, man, that sounds epic. It was was only at a con. Only at a con. Oh, that sounds awesome. Now I want to go to a con. <laughs> I've still never been to a con. Dude, cons are awesome. But I, I definitely feel like there's a, there's a way to interact with cons that there's, you have to go in knowing what you want, because mm-hmm. we we just we didn't know what to expect. This was our first con experience. We just kind of went in. And For both like, of you? We're going to walk around. We're going to look, look at some stuff. We know we want to hit Artist Alley at some point. There's some people we want to check out who we know are going to be there. But we didn't really have like a plan. You really have to have a plan going into a con. Because, one, there's too much stuff. You will get lost if you don't have a plan. And uh-huh. if you don't have a plan, you don't get enough of any one thing. Right. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah.
0: So did you pick up any goodies, though? Any, uh you oh, walk yeah. away with anything cool? that you Yeah, we,
1: we did. We carefully. walked away with a couple of cool stuff. Um, did I you got, get any minis? <laughs> didn't get any minis. Because, again, I... I I actually, it was on the way out that I saw the mini booth. Ah, <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. But I got well. You'll find out maybe, okay. hopefully, okay soon. Yeah, if you want to save it. <laughs> I, well, I, I can say what it is, but you'll find okay. out because I got my in-person BBEG initiative die. Oh snap! Oh yeah. snap! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a table game. For a table game, so oh. that's locked Ooh. and loaded, ready to go. Uh, at some point, <laughs> can't wait to see that come out. Now, mm-hmm. let me tell you what yeah. it's a player killer, not a character killer. <laughs> a Player killer. <laughs> just throw it at him and it's just like, ah, <laughs> this, this thing is a weapon.
0: Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say because um, you were talking about you know a place to like play. D and D or whatever mm-hmm. RPGs that might have been there. Yeah, I was wondering if there was anything there that was playtesting at the convention because that's the thing that happens
1: sometimes. Yeah. or if wonder if that's just the Gen Con thing. I remember I'm seeing sure it's it's very. I'm sure uh, Gen Con. There's a lot more of it. I'm not saying there wasn't any because I didn't get a chance to look at everything, but there was. Uh, there were some tabletop, uh, board game, other stuff like that set up. Like I, I think I did see a Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Or ju- ju- I think it was just like tabletop card game stuff in general. There might have been magic Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh types. Yeah, there's usually magic but, going on somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> always, there's there, always going to be a magic table. Always. But there could have been other places that like were playtesting their, their material. But I didn't see any that weren't like already established, licensed stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know uh, Magpie Games, who designed the new licensed official avatar RPG yeah that basically just came out that we were backers for they I know I remember seeing a notification from them where they're looking for volunteer uh, GMs to run games in the system at a uh, convention they were going to I think it was for Gen Con that's so cool. it's like that's a yeah that's a thing they do where it's just like hey here's an open you know um, Google form you can fill out if you just want to if you want to volunteer to GM at that convention and I'm like, oh, so that's that's kind of cool. You know, and they'll yeah. you can just like run some of their tables. And um, I think they, they they'll give you some some goodies as well to some like memorabilia if you do or if you do like a certain amount or something like that. I hope they at least pay for your ticket. I don't know if they do. I think it's just <laughs> purely volunteer. Like if you're going to be there,
1: you can yeah. opt into that. That's, like the problem with that is then if you don't get a ticket into the convention, then you lose your spot as a GM.
0: Well, I mean, I think at that point it's just like, I guess, assume yeah. that you would be able to get there. Of your, yeah, that, the, well, that's all. Like, that
1: part's on you. Depending on the on the depending on the convention, of course, because like Supernova it was pretty easy to get tickets. We bought tickets maybe a couple weeks before the event, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like Comic Con. Yeah, if I was you gonna say Comic Con. The, the first minute that the tickets are open, you're not getting into Comic Con.
0: <laughs> yeah, Comic Con's probably the San worst offender.
1: Yeah, well, both Comic Cons really. Yeah, yeah, it's true.
0: Diego, well, I suppose there, there there are many yeah, there there are many other unofficial, cons, unofficial but... ones. Yeah, yeah, uno- but the the two main main ones. Um, yeah, those are definitely the worst offenders in terms of access. It's which is why like you know we, neither of us uh, except you up uh, now, um, but up to a point neither of us had had a con experience mm-hmm. despite growing up in San Diego and it's yep. a lot but i was thinking you know that's not really saying much though because like most people in san diego haven't been to comic con uh that you just it's just so hard to get in there it's like for yeah. even the entirety of our youth it was just so difficult uh and i remember yeah.
1: as a spectator it's hard to get yeah, in
0: yeah seeing how crazy things would get whenever it was comic con season and obviously the tickets would go so fast but then you would have uh what do you call that it's a type of like scalpers, uh, scalpers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's basically the type of con <laughs> in a way where you <laughs> the people who con, yeah, where you just buy up the tickets and then just yeah. sell them on the streets, yeah. And it's just like he, come you on, you sell
1: them man. right in front of the convention, is what you do,
0: yeah, right in front of the convention. I remember people hanging out on like uh, at the you know, like at intersections, you know, just selling these tickets and trying to hawk them to people at their windshield
1: or at yeah. their at their windows. It's like. It's chaos. It's chaos. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a and that's an insane markup that you're buying it at for that. Oh yeah, for sure. Their profit. So yeah, and scalpers, you know, they'll do that
0: for lots of things. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an interesting sort of hustle. It is particularly predatory one. <laughs> particularly <laughs> I guess predatory. what what hustle isn't, <laughs> or what sort of you know con
1: hustle isn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause, like there are there are hustles, and then there's like this new wave hustle. I don't know. I don't know what you call it, because like hustling is inherently shady, but nowadays <laughs> hustle has like it's it's like the sport hustle, right? It's like oh yeah, like you you got to hustle, you got to put in some work. Now that's what the hustle is. It's not like a hustle like you're getting hustled. It's like hustle like you are hustling. Yeah. OK, well, that's very interesting. I can't wait to, to
0: see all the photos and videos that oh, yeah. I'll get. I'll get I'll get to see, at least. I don't know if our audience <laughs> will of uh, your probably, con probably experience. Not. No, definitely not. Yeah, I need to get more minis.
1: I like minis. Absolutely.
0: But I need I need, you know, now that I have a, more of a space to myself and what I really need to do is get shelves and stuff so I can mm-hmm. I can display stuff.
1: we friends and people with 3D printers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'd be useful. Because there are some crazy models you could get out there that I just see, and it's just like, I could see that,
1: and I could have it, if I could print (laughs) it. A 3D printer is insane. It's literally just like, okay, it's, it's not literally just like a button click away, but it feels as close to a button click away from just imagining something and it becoming real, like tangible exactly right it's like the closest
0: we've gotten it's modern magic it is it is this is the kind of stuff that you would tell medieval people about and they would if you (laughs) were to go back and tell them about they would be like that's literal magic you know literally magic like what you're explaining to me is inconceivable to my mind outside of actual magic
1: (laughs) that's like Like, uh it's like the star trek um uh, I forget what it's called. Obviously, the, the oh, big like one their that synthesizer thing. Yeah, the, the big one is obviously the holodeck, but not the holodeck. It's the it's the one where he gets his coffee from or his, his tea because they're British. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It just like it are just sure. create stuff, right? It's like, yeah, we have, straight up magic. We have at this point a very close equivalent to that. Just like it's very close. You can't homes. eat it.
0: You can't yeah, eat yet, it, but it's yet.
1: otherwise pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair.
0: Yeah, it's it's ludicrous, ludicrously future technology that you could just get in your living room pretty easily, actually. I know, And that still blows my mind. It's still part of that trend of what we've been talking about, which is the fact that the future is now like we are currently living. Yeah, the future was yesterday. We're currently living in the future that many of us envisioned as children. And as you've so rightly pointed out, it really the only difference is whether or not you can afford it. But the future, a lot of that technology that we would have considered futuristic growing up is widely available to consumers. Not all of the market can afford it. But if you can, you can live in the future right now. You could have a lot of a a smartwatch. You can have a self-driving vehicle. You can have a 3D printer. You can have all these future
1: things if you could afford it right now. Yep. A lot of, there's a lot of, um innovations in obviously the accessibility of these fantastic technologies have you seen some of the crazy stuff people are doing for like making 3d printers accessible or uh or just like just smaller and more like consumer friendly no cuz obviously there's a big like 3d printers take up a lot of space because they print a 3d thing right there's right. it's just like you need you need, you physical need dimensions. space be able to make a thing that will take up space yeah but there are some interesting things that people are have been doing with just like with printers in general that like just completely bamboozle my mind there's this tiny like cube i think it was like like this this uh it was just a printer a regular printer not a cube it was a cube that you just you just program in whatever you want to print you set it down on the paper and it just like rolls along and prints it in like lines yeah it's this tiny yeah. thing that it's you like just a take little with printer put it in your pocket. and it's like a, it's like a, it's a printer it's like a printer car <laughs> it's like a printer Roomba <laughs> basically a printer Roomba and it just goes <laughs> I'm not sure if that Kickstarter ever got off the ground but like they had a broken prototype which is insane and it's a fantastic idea it's a fantastic idea and it's just like this uh, it's a portable printer you could just print anything as long as you have something to print onto Cause like you don't, you don't have to like worry about printer size or like the the paper size that go into the, to go into the printer. Yeah. You just, you put it on a surface and it prints. I mean,
0: at that point, yeah, it doesn't even necessarily have to be paper. Yeah. That's crazy. That's
1: crazy. Eventually we're going to get to a point where you can just like carry a 3d printer in your pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're saying crazy things. (laughs) Hey, listen, eventually I, I, I didn't say when. I just said eventually.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you're spouting nonsense. But yeah, I mean, so many of these things would have been inconceivable not long ago. It's insane the level of technological development that we've reached in recent years, even to the point of it's like, yeah, might not be as uh, futuristic in our society as we might, Mm -hmm. you know, have envisioned. But we're also, at least for the two of us, not incredibly that far in our lifetimes so you know we're still we're still fairly young and the number of innovations that we've seen within our brief lifetimes is incredible and honestly more than i might have even expected by this point well the
1: speed of progress is forever increasing yeah it's like exponential progress begets progress right like there's the more we learn and understand how our world works and how we can like get things to do stuff that it wasn't intended to do (laughs) there's (laughs) the especially the more that we embrace like adam savage calls it bespoke manufacturing Mm -hmm. instead of having setups where it makes one thing over and over and over and over and over again really well we are now moving towards making anything over and over and over again decently okay (laughs) right (laughs) yeah they're not they're not like production level stuff but you could get it there it's a start right Mm-hmm. like there's 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 more of a move towards being flexible and being able to create new things with the things we create so we're now getting to the point where we're seeing technology built by the technologies that we're building yeah
0: yeah that's true that's true right with a number of innovative mechanisms or contraptions that could be made out of a 3d printer for example yeah where and even a 3d printer can you know generate Parts of a whole, yeah, and you, that you can then piece together into something that's actually functional. And that's and that's of
1: course the far like far future Dyson sphere level technologies is be able to send one self replicating drone to a like to some some place. It creates more of itself, and then it cr- creates the kind of production <laughs> needed to create something else, and then eventually we show up and we have an entire you know ready civilization to just move into, but oh yeah that's very science fictional at this point (laughs) but self-replication is already here it's just like it's not automated yet but we easily can can get into the point of like making a 3d printer with a 3d printer (laughs) oh no i don't even want to think about that (laughs) yet
0: (laughs) get out of here i don't want to think about it (laughs) that's too existential for me oh man that's crazy yeah So, exponential technological growth. It's an interesting thing. But I was thinking, like, speaking of minis as well, like, did you see Matt Colville's video he did on running Level 20 D&D? No, I haven't been on YouTube in forever, I just realized. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking of that. That was kind of funny because it it came about very spontaneously, his little session of Level 20 Uh D&D. And he was talking about how he just... Sent one of his friends to like the store with money to just buy some mini for <laughs> some big boss that he could so that 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 he could use. Yeah. It's just like yeah, here's a few hundred bucks. Get me a big friggin' mini. <laughs> buy me a statue. <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of funny because his friend told him uh, how he like passed up uh, uh some weird you know multi-headed dragon thing, and he was just like. There was a Tiamat that you didn't grab.
1: (laughs) Some weird multi-headed colorful dragon that eh, looked pretty generic to me. (laughs) Oh, can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure
0: sure for the budget that he had, he must have gotten a pretty awesome mini either way. But can you imagine just
1: passing up one of those gargantuan Tiamats? Can you imagine giving somebody a hundred bucks and come back with whatever? They come back with Tiamat. <laughs> that's true that would also be just just crazy either way it's a story but yeah
0: like i would love to get those kind obviously that's like that's an advanced hobby level where you're oh, grabbing yeah. minis like those like the big the t- big TMAT one or the big bahamut ones or the Tarask yeah. one that WizKids now has available that you can yeah, just get. It's like yeah. sure. Yeah, you want a big official licensed TM Tarask, which is I think a first, because I'd looked into Tarask Minis yeah. before, and all of the versions of Tarasks, yeah, were were all kitbashed for a long time. And so I think the the Wiskids one that they did recently is the first, to my knowledge, the
1: first official Tarask Mini, which I think is a big deal. Yeah. There was I know I know there was one model that's been used often for a terrasque, and I think it was like like an action figure or something like that from. Yeah, it's some sort of a kaiju. You remember that bad Godzilla film? Yeah, that's right, the yeah. American one. Yeah, uh, it it's that model because it's very clearly that same lizard. <laughs> but I think they just people take that as the base and like mm-hmm. add spikes to it and whatever. Yeah, add spikes. That's the, the one that I see most often as the film Yeah, I'm model. pretty sure I've seen the exact yeah Kid Bash model
0: you're talking about. Yeah, it's so that's it's like yeah, that's advanced hobby stuff in my opinion because that's the point where it's just like you've spent so much money <laughs> that <laughs> you're in it now. You better yeah. be playing D and D the rest of your life yeah. for the amount of money you just dropped on these miniatures. Yeah, it's just and like, you better hope that monster is in the next edition.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just like it, it gets to the point where it's like the money that you spent on that one model is just like oh yeah, it's like a couple hundred dollars, a couple, maybe a thousand dollars, right? Quadruple digit money. Spent on this one thing, it gets to a point where like that's just like when you take into the consideration the whole collection, it's like that's just one small fraction of the amount of money you spent on minis. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, one mini, but when you take into consideration the entire collection,
0: (laughs) oh yeah, that's the thing. Just barely dipping my toes into the the mini part of the hobby, you know, I've already lost so much money to it even <laughs> not even getting incredibly spectacular minis because yeah. it's just it's just one part of the hobby you that's just the a money printer. sink
1: but it's so cool though it's so I cool know. You minis 3D are so just cool. for like j- like all the fill stuff all like the the goblins and yeah. orcs and regular stuff like that you need a 3d printer for because it's just gonna that's that is way too much money to spend on features oh, yeah. you're only gonna see you know per game you're only gonna see them Every, uh like, you know, a couple times, but you're gonna use them obviously more often because they're the baddies you mm-hmm. wanna, you know, you're gonna throw most often at your opponents. But, like, that, that's, that's a lot of money to spend on goblins, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Well, I mean, there are brands too that specialize
0: in making those cheaply, though. Like, Reaper, for example, has sort of staked yeah. their claim on that and like mass producing very cheaply these sort of yeah. basic ad monsters. So, but, like,
1: but, do you know how much a 3D printer costs per mini? <laughs> fair
0: fair yeah well i mean if you can become your own manufacturer that's always yeah. going to be the cheapest way exactly. to do things but yeah it's like it's crazy it's cr- and plus uh with a 3d printer you also save a lot of money on hero forge too so then yeah. you can get hero Ford, use hero forge to basically model your minis and then be able to print those because yeah, exactly. it's a lot cheaper to pay for the 3d models versus getting them to do the printing and shipping yeah, so you make
1: you make one goblin model by by the the file for it on hero forge and then print out a hundred of those bad boys
0: yeah well they also have packs and stuff like that on hero forge now of like pre-made generic bad guys so Mm -hmm. and other sorts of groups pretty good there are some pretty good ones yeah they're 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 really awesome shout out to hero forge by the way the yeah character creator the video game
1: basically is how (laughs) we've sort of treated it i love character creation i don't know if i've talked about on the podcast <laughs> or in any public setting, my love for character creation in the video game. <laughs> character creation in the video creation, If there's a character creation element in any video game, guarantee I'm spending like an hour, hour and a half tops. Minimum, rather. Minimum on just making my character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's honestly,
0: one of the funnest parts of the process. And hero forge yeah the way we've kind of discovered hero forge to be like character creator the video game Mm -hmm. is just an incredible pastime like i think you and i both have sunk so many hours into it but i think you more so than me (laughs) but yeah that's you know stuff like that those big crazy minis i would love to get into eventually one day and because they also make just great displays you know they they're statues they're things that you can put on your shelf and yeah. show off collectibles.
1: Collectibles really. Yeah, you you, you, you got to get into like uh the collection hobby. Like there's mm-hmm. is, there is a culture around collectibles and there's a culture around displaying memorabilia and all this other stuff. You got to really get into not just collecting them to use but like obviously collecting them as collectibles in and of themselves. Especially for yeah. the licensed stuff, right? The official Wiz Kids Wizards of the Coast official licensed big giant things those are the ones you Mm -hmm. want to be like yeah i have that
0: yeah yeah especially those that are in limited supply like there was only so many of that there's this um famous ancient red dragon gargantuan Mm -hmm. mini statue that is well known it's been used in a number of places i'm pretty sure matt mercer has one that he used for Thordak in their first campaign Mm -hmm. probably those if you try to find those it's insane because i there was only so many of them. I don't remember exactly how many, but it wasn't a lot. And there's a since there's such a limited supply of them, those who are selling them are selling them for incredible amounts. You can, so if you want to get one nowadays, it's like at least several hundred to thousand plus dollars to get your hands on one of those. And so yeah, that 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 kind of stuff is just kind of epic to think about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the limited supply and just rarity and awesomeness of the design of those things yeah it's yeah it kind of creates its own its own mythicness but i was going to say also like just hearing matt colville talk about running level 20 D and thinking about epic minis and stuff just makes me oh i've just been having such a hankering to run high level D lately mm-hmm. i don't i i don't know why well i mean i do know why i've just explained some reasons especially after <laughs> watching you actually just talked about uh, it Especially after watching Exu Calamity recently mm-hmm. as well, you um, gotta watch it. You gotta watch it, man. I gotta talk about that show on this podcast ASAP because <laughs> if you haven't seen Exandria Unlimited Calamity, you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's you're,
1: like you're it
0: is not leg- complete yet. You are yeah. finished. You seriously? It is legitimately uh, that just as an actual play show, it's four parts. Anybody could watch it. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, they're, 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 long sessions cause they got a lot of story material to get through in each one. Um, the longest one is the finale, which is about, mm-hmm. uh, five, six hours, I think. But, um, it is masterclass, dude. It is legitimately some of the best D and D I've ever seen played. And I thought critical role more broadly, sort of stood on that totem for me, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, there's no way, you know, especially looking back and things that I have a huge fondness for like the first campaign of critical role, for example, um or but like a lot of critical role more generally, they have such incredible storytelling on there, and it's just hard to think of any d and d that has you know bigger uh bigger production value first of all, but also just better storytellers mm-hmm. and storytelling within its very narrative but when I I mean, I guess it took critical role to one up critical role, but they just had to <laughs> re- rearrange things a bit and bring in a guest DM. And it was my first time really engaging with Brendan Lee Mulligan as a DM because yeah. uh, I'm familiar with him through the grapevine, but never had the chance to see anything mm-hmm. he's done or see any of his work before this. And so, yeah, holy smokes, I was blown away by his DMing, but it's just so masterclass. Like I said, legitimately some of the best d and I've ever seen. Played and it just again for you and me who have talked so much about what we think about RPGs in general and what we believe even D and D can be, he it just plays into so much of that. And there are so many things that we often uh, complain about or that we have said that we'd love to see that right, I just see right. played out in that show in such spectacular fashion. It is really just for us particularly i think just everything we've wanted to see in a D game and it is amazing and just incredible storytelling incredible cast the chemistry is electric it is uh it is it is amazing it is amazing incredible characters great collaboration and it's just a little mini series telling a succinct tragic story but everything about the storytelling is just so elevated the performances the the tightness of the writing quote-unquote using that term very loosely but then you know (laughs) the storytelling is is just just incredible and yeah if you ever want to cry for four episodes straight just just watch it (laughs) i mean yeah you need it you need to see it you need to watch it before the next time we record, so we could do a full spoiler cast on <laughs> calamity and we could all talk right. about all the DMing lessons there are to learn there. But it's it's amazing. You will you will never be the same after watching it, and it will fundamentally change the way you want to run games from here on out.
1: Oh, I <laughs> it's love just like it's
0: a yeah it's it's just a revelation
1: of a game. And I love actual plays or any kind of D and D or just tabletop media where it's just like you know what. I didn't know that was possible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. There have been a number of those, too,
0: like not just the calamity, but there have been a number of different pieces of actual play that have really challenged my paradigms and just made me like fundamentally rethink the way I approach the table just having seen them. You know, I can think of a number that that fill that. But I mean, Calamity was big time, though. But just seeing that and, and seeing higher level play and people just go and being prepared with that and being ready to tell that kind of story. I was like, oh, man, really higher, higher level play is just some of the juice can be some of the juiciest and the most exciting stuff in D&D. If you have good enough players because yep. if you don't have good enough players if you don't ha- have people who already know the game inside and out it could be a slog fest mm. but if you have people who know it and are prepared and are going in and ready to go and have been ready to play <laughs> epic level for a while it's uh it, 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 it this really proved to me that it's just like oh it's so yep. worth it cuz they yep. just go in and they're just like all right I got all these pa- I'm just going to I'm
1: just going to go I'm going to use everything at my disposal <laughs> yep I have, um, with some of uh, the people here in Ossieland, in our, our, our little group, we have a high-level one-shot planned, right? hmm Guess what level it is? Oh, boy, what is it? It's level seven. That's considered high level? <laughs> That's considered high level at, for like the, the, at the point we're at. It's like, we are nowhere even near touching Epic! <laughs> we're at the point where it's like we're we're beyond level three. <laughs> like, oh man! We, we they were like yeah like we've been doing some a couple of games we're ready to try some higher level stuff. And it's like uh, oh, I want to go for like like high level like level nine level. Nine. It's like uh, it's level seven. <laughs> we're gonna start at seven and see how we go from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But like for you, for example, you're a very venerable player, and I've d- yeah. DM'd and GM'd for you numbers of times. And just from our own conversations, I, I know that we both have a fair level of expertise with fifth edition, say like, I would be more than comfortable running Epic level for you. You know I, I am mean? More than comfortable We need playing to playing Epic level at you're probably ready by this point. I am ready. You're just like, I'm so tired of running out of spell slots. Not going to happen <laughs> when you're that high level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. You need to get together the right group of people to be able yeah. to do that. But I will, I'm, i'm so ready i want to do it i've honestly had numbers of ideas of like little mini series and stuff to do Mm -hmm. and watching calamity just made me want to go "Mm, i want to do it so bad i want to do it so bad there's a couple although even calamity wasn't strictly epic level too it was high level but it's not technically it's not it's not in the last tier of play by any means it was uh, level 14
1: level 14 oh wow
0: yeah
1: that that is still very high level that is it's still high level level. yeah solid yeah for sure heroes of the realm yeah exactly so
0: it's still pretty high up there and they were well geared too so uh, people had legendary items and stuff i mean the paladin had a straight up holy avenger and that wasn't even his only legendary item (laughs) um yeah when the paladin shows up with 29 strength you're just like okay i realize the point we are at now (laughs) That's a little minor spoiler to you, but no, I know uh-huh. I could give away a little stuff like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Before like, you get into that it. kind of stat stuff is just like the spoilers are in what he does with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And oh, There's just so many things I am so excited for you to see. I just I need somebody to talk to talk about this miniseries with. There's so much good stuff. It's such a masterpiece. And then they also after the fact they did a I know they have a discussion um, coming up for it mm-hmm. that as of this recording hasn't been done yet. Probably will be mm-hmm. by the time this goes up. But mm-hmm. they also did a DMs of Exandria roundtable discussion yep, yep. with Matt Mercer, Brian Gar and Brendan Lee Mulligan. Yep. That's an amazing talk as well. Also an incredible, incredible
1: just uh, masterclass on learning Absolutely. from true experts I need uh, to what, see. picking their brain. I need to see Calamity just so I can watch that because that's one I'm super interested in because obviously yeah. Matt Mercer's talking about GMing. I, I want to hear whatever he has to say. Um, there is, you know, he's got a lot of really good insights on, on the process. But yeah. I also know, uh, was it Brandon or Brendan? Brennan. Brennan. Brennan, no D. But yeah, no like, D. I know Brennan. Again, the passively through the grapevine. I have seen, I think uh, outside of, uh, calamity. I have seen more of his stuff than you have, just because of mm. passively going through and watch some of his stuff. But yeah, I I do also know that he's got some fantastic big ideas on the hobby. Oh and yeah, I'm just like I, I want to hear just what all these fantastic minds have to say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I also yeah. know that um, I I don't know, I haven't seen too much, but I'm pretty sure I also know who that other GM is. I've might have seen her Abria. around. Uh, yeah, she's Obviously, been. around I, I saw the around. show that she did on Critical Role. But uh, I think I've seen her do some other stuff here and there, but I'm not sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, she's definitely been around. Uh, she's kind of all over the place in terms of making appearances on, like, everybody's show, She's yeah. one of those people is that... Is she
1: more of a player, or...?
0: Uh, yeah, I think she does have, like, a, a show that she GMs for, I'm pretty sure. Um, but okay. yeah, I see, I, when I see, like, thumbnails and stuff, <laughs> I definitely see her more often, I think, in the player seat. Yeah, because I, I definitely have seen her as a player. For sure. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, Brendan Lee Mulligan, I was shocked, honestly, because I watched for i well, was shocked on in so many ways, because, again, I didn't know he was going to be that good going into Calamity. This is my first experience with him. And even people who know how good he is, I saw a lot of comments of people saying like, yeah, this is definitely the best he's ever been. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is him with just, budget. <laughs> yeah, this is him with a budget on the biggest D&D YouTube channel, you know, uh, doing just the, doing a big idea and he and with with an incredible cast right there's mm. literally a point where he just has to stop in the middle of a scene and just go you guys are so good at dnd <laughs> and it was just a pure role-playing scene too yeah. it wasn't even like a combat thing just purely yeah. off of role-playing and it's true like that cast was incredible like they are all such rich deep role players and um but you know, my mind was blown watching that because, again, my first experience with him, I was like, "Holy smokes, this is good." I didn't realize this was going to be so good. And I didn't know if that was like a fluke or if, you know, this, this is <laughs> like because I normally kind of dismiss him as just being, you know, just being like a, a comedy guy. But I didn't uh-huh. realize he just had such he was just such a profoundly good storyteller generally. And then I watched that DM roundtable and I was like, "Oh, snap. yeah, he has he's clearly somebody good that like us, has thought deeply and at great length about the nature of storytelling and about, you know, the fantasy genre generally and Mm -hmm. about just how to do RPGs. (laughs) And it's like, he has such, such huge ideas and such great thoughts and just so many great insights that he makes in that round table that I've definitely taken away from. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Including snacks. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? But (laughs) Oh, I'll have to show you that clip. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And also, there's just so many like demystifying stuff he does as well that I find Mm -hmm. super helpful because we often try to do the same thing where it's just like, hold on, you don't need all this, this, this and that. Mm -hmm. And uh, like they talk about, they have a whole conversation there, for example, about like the lengthy backstories and things like that. And they're like, yeah, there's a place for that. That's, that could be great. I love to receive that every once in a while if it gives me a lot of wiggle room. But Brennan rightfully points out something that I think you're going to find hilarious, which is that there are real life people who don't have 40 pages of backstory.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just like, so you don't technically need all that. And yeah. really, when I think about it, I mean, yeah, there have been there are, there. Are, I agree. There are some great benefits to big, lengthy, bombastic backstories. Especially if they give you lots of room to play, mm-hmm. but also I think you gave me one of the best backstories I've ever received in Mister G, and that was yeah. that
1: was basically one little txt document. Yeah, <laughs> like it, that was it was tiny. The, the, the backstory that I gave uh, for those who are interested, I don't know if this is ever if this is published anywhere, but yeah, we've came never up published it as a in universe bit of lore that I handed off to another character. I handed off my yes. entire backstory to another character in, in like, uh, in in universe because my backstory that I gave was a psych evaluation for a job that he was basically getting, like for mm-hmm. for his new role as a um, government official. It was a psych evaluation, so that little document was my entire backstory.
0: Yeah, and I loved that. I love that. That was one of the one of the best backstories I ever received. Just because, on the account of the fact that it was so, well, it was a story in and of itself. And I think a lot of backstories basically become fact sheets. Yeah. And but yours, what you gave me, which is weird, because as a psych evaluation, it did have facts
1: in it. You know, yeah.
0: there was like the the psychiatrist was like listing details at certain points, but it was not. It was not primarily a fact sheet. It was yeah. a story. It was something that was immersed in the world, right? It was a document mm-hmm. that you could find in the world that told that gave you an illustration of who this character was mm-hmm. through the perspective of somebody that was not them.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's it it was it was just so that was that was such an original and rich concept. And yeah, I thought that was, that was really cool, but it was super brief, super brief. And it just gave me everything, everything I needed to know about the character, right? Not mm-hmm. everything that there is to know about him, but everything you need to know because yes. it
1: was a story and stories inherently exclude a lot of information. So and there's, you have to consider the reason for handing somebody a backstory, right? Because mm-hmm. there's, there's your backstory and then there's your bibliography, you don't want to give somebody your entire life story and just be like, okay, like, I mean, your GM, I'm assuming you're giving this to. You don't want to give your GM your entire life story and say, sift through this to find the most relevant bits of information. I'd rather just give them the most relevant bits of information. Here's what I think, here's where I've been, and here's what I do, and here's how I react to certain situations. That's my backstory. Give me a situation, and I will tell you, in my according to those parameters, how I would have reacted if that had been written in my backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to give yeah. you the exact word for word recount of when my father left and my mother got sold <laughs> off to slavery and then I joined the military. It's just like, no, like I had a rough childhood. Done. <laughs> like that's that's, that's that, what I just told you was I had a rough childhood. Yeah. Yeah, and if it's not if it's not particularly pertinent at least to
0: the character, right, obviously if they had yeah. a special sort of relationship then maybe it's worth going into detail in those sorts of bits of information. But if yeah. all you need to take away is that they had a rough childhood then you know, sometimes that's all you need to put. Yeah. but um in, in so many words of course obviously flavor it detail it a bit but
1: yeah and that comes back down to the difference between lore and story right i love that uh matt Koval mm-hmm. makes that distinction and he made that whole yeah lore versus you know, writing yeah, or, yeah yeah it was yeah lore versus writing like lore is a fact sheet it's a bullet point thing right it's, it's literally just like this then, this then this then this then this then this happened if you summarize all that and just say well you know What's the what's the story behind it? What what am, what am, what am I meant to take away from all this information? That's what I want to give in a backstory. I don't want to tell you exactly all the you know the detailed histories of this character. I just you just need to get the idea, so that when you go in, especially if you're the GM trying to create your own story, you've got your own set of lists of things that are happening, <laughs> that have happened, are happening, and will happen. I don't want to give you another set of lists of things to have to memorize and keep in the back of your mind. That's just, that's just me being nice. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, I, I, I can tell you that as a GM, when somebody gives me a, a big backstory, I roll my eyes and then like skim through it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I hate to say it out loud, but like, that's, it's like, oh man, these are hard truths, hard, hard DM truths. <laughs> it is, it is legitimately annoying because I know there are three things I'm going to get out of it. And you gave me 40 pages. <laughs> Yeah, well, and to be fair, I'm gonna I'm gonna search through it for a name. i might have been like I don't even care who who it is. I'm just gonna look for a name. I'm just gonna stick it in to the plot somewhere and figure out what happens. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah. I, uh, I I I hear you there. I get I get what you're
0: saying, but I think I mean it's not not to say that it's bad necessarily to do that. I think oh, that's good. So. That's it's a good exercise to do.
1: But for your own personal, I was good. That's rest. what I was going to say.
0: It's, it's better. It's almost better for the player yeah. to do, go into that level of detail than it is for the DM. Cause there's only so much of it that the DM needs. Yeah. But, um, I, I think if you're to do something like that, I think there's, I think what you need to do is take some notes from the writing industry, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you're a novelist, you have several different levels of story that you're working at. It's kind of like, you know, those right, videos, right. those explainer videos they do now, where it's like the same concept explained yes, at yes. different levels of education or yeah. at different levels of complexity. Uh, they do basically the same thing in the in the writing industry, where if you're, a, say, a novelist, it's like, okay, you got your novel, right? You're, you got your entire manuscript. That's the full thing written out. Mm-hmm. But then you also have a shorter version. That's called a synopsis, right? And then you have right. an even shorter version. That's called a log line. Right. And, right, it, or if you're, say, working in film, right, you'll have your full-length screenplay, your mm-hmm. full length script and then you'll have a shorter version which is yep. like a beat sheet or a, or a treatment or... Uh, a treatment, yeah and then you might have an even shorter version which is the log line the log line is always the shortest version it's it's, it. <laughs> yeah the, there's it's hard to boil your
1: story down any more than bringing it down to a sentence or two so <laughs> yeah i love long light exercise it's just like pick a story that you like and turn it into a one sentence or just and just mm-hmm. boil it down to one sentence if you can do that, you're you're like leagues ahead of your average storyteller with no experience, right? Like if you can. Yeah, just that's the, the truest entire, test. Yeah.
0: The truest test of narrative literacy really is yeah. to turn something into a log line and. Um, the but yeah, that's the thing, right? In 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 writing in professional writing, you have those different levels of story that you're operating at different levels of detail that you Mm -hmm. already have to operate at in order to be able to sell your project but it's also just good information good exercises to have on hand in order to really prove that you know your story because if you don't if your story is unclear then it will be very difficult. Like if your story is unclear to you, then it will be very difficult to boil it down to one sentence. It will be very difficult. But if you know what the core essence of your story is, then it'll be fairly easy to boil it down to one. Maybe not fairly easy. It might still take some effort, but it will, it will be essentially inevitable to boil it down to one sentence. It'll just take Mm -hmm. some work. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, it's like that's really what that shows to be able to reduce something that complex that much is something that requires a deep understanding of it. And I would say mm-hmm. it's the same way with backstories, right? It's good for you to have all of that knowledge of your character's history and a bunch of details. And it's definitely good to give that to your DM if you have it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. with the understanding that I feel like you should have different levels of. Complexity to pitch it at right. Where if you're going to do that, you should also have like a cliff notes version as well, yeah. just to give the essential information of what is the story of this character. And you could do that in a written form, or you could do that just by having conversations with your DM as well. Like that would suffice too. It's just like okay, let me give you this big long backstory, but then let's sit down and have a talk to really help you to understand what this character is actually about at their core. Yeah,
1: I feel like as a GM tool there should be like a like a little pamphlet or like a little uh like a little one-page document you can hand your players to fill out it's like like it's it, in place of handing me your backstory i'm going to give you this sheet to fill out and, <laughs> and then it'll tell me everything i need to know about your backstory yeah, like, yeah. check yes or no was your childhood traumatic <laughs> <laughs> you still have your parents. <laughs> yeah, living parents. Yeah. just the check box. Yeah, <laughs> like there are, cause there are definitely a lot of, especially uh, in like fantasy heroic uh, literature. Like, there's a lot of tropes that you could just shortcut and just say, like, do you fulfill these tropes?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That being that being said, I'm definitely not opposed to the 40 page backstory idea.
1: Um, oh yeah, it's like, just well, if if I have time, I probably will read it. But if I'm prepping, I probably don't have time. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, that's what
0: was also interesting hearing about Brennan Lee Mulligan from the DM's roundtable is the way he approaches prep. Because what I didn't realize was that I guess his main show, Dimension 20, uh, apparently that's an anthology show. Oh. Which means like every campaign is short and in like an entirely different world. mm -hmm. So, So, like there's a lot of bespoke preparation that he has to do. And there's Mm -hmm. also everything about it is just a limited run. Mm -hmm. Apparently they run for like 20 episodes tops. And so when he's going into, I think that's what prepped him. That was really the boot camp that prepped him to be able to pull off something as artistically uh, Titanic as calamity, because you know, you're I'm like, Oh man, how are you going to tell a profound story in four episodes? And he's just got like, I've been practicing for this for years. (laughs) So he already had the muscles, the creative muscles to be able to Mm -hmm. pull something like that off. And he's already used to optimizing his campaigns for Mm -hmm. quick, succinct stories. And so when he jumps into that, but yeah, the way he's able to pull that off time and time again is just heavy prep heavy prep and heavy collaboration mm-hmm. with his players just to make sure everybody's on the same page and yeah, yeah and he's talking about he talks about railroading too and he had just had such unique insights about that because railroading is another controversial subject to touch for for mm-hmm. DMs
1: and I'm like oh
0: yes yes
1: this guy Here's, gets
0: it
1: <laughs> here is something that I have come to realize especially after running a one shot a couple of days ago with the, that same group that I was talking about earlier with high level Higher yeah. level, uh, like, <laughs> um, is this the I DM shade time? <laughs> is
0: it time? Is it time to throw DM shade if any of them are listening?
1: <laughs> well, I have now come to realize that, especially for shorter form, I love tangents. When it comes to like longer form storytelling, when it comes to like having a campaign, tangents are amazing players are going to get the players are going to get up the shenanigans and you should just embrace it and go with it and be prepared for just completely going off the rails but when it comes down to shorter form one shot storytelling there has to be a time where you're just like no this is what we're doing and we're sticking to this because otherwise we're not going to get it finished
0: yeah absolutely absolutely for one shots and whatnot it's essential Really, there have to be boundaries because yeah. essentially at that point for one shot, it's like, yeah, if you if you got a big, long ongoing campaign, yeah, you can make that this sprawling open world epic. But yeah. if you're doing a one shot, you're not playing an open world game. You're playing a level
1: and you need to finish the level. <laughs> well, it's I like, guess not only that, but like I, I understand this, like I understand this desire and this like instinct because I do that, too. But you kind of have to just like not poke at the seams of the one level and there has to be a point where it's like you can start to see the players go like oh but what if can i do this mm-hmm. it's like no 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 that's not part of like that's just scenery <laughs> i was like that's not that's not part of the the plot that's not part of the story that's just scenery that's just there because because i, I said we're in a zoo and i said this is there but that's not part of it but, like we're in a completely different part of the zoo <laughs> It <laughs> sounds very specific.
0: <laughs> oh man, I think we could rant for so much longer about uh, DMing and about RPGs more broadly, but I'm afraid we have to wind this down. I know, man. I just want to talk about jamming again. I know. You want to run something epic level right after this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> or play it? I, I I want to run it. No, yeah, we need <laughs> to we need it. to find no, it. play. No. No. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> we'll think of something. Yeah, we really, we really need to get more we'll stuff run to run. It. Yeah. But attacking GM. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. We can be done. Anyway, thank you all very much for listening. This has been the Hypercube Podcast. The show is edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco with theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see y'all later.
1: God bless. Rock's fall, everybody dies.